Welcome to SVCC Weekly, a weekly podcast from Sangamon Valley Christian Center in Muhammad, Illinois. We hope you enjoy this message from our church, and be sure to check us out online at www.sangamonvalley.net. Leviticus is a very important book. It's Exodus, you know, God delivers the people from slavery in Egypt. They come to Mount Sinai, they're at Mount Sinai, and then Leviticus is the instruction that's given to them at Mount Sinai. Then we get to Numbers and Deuteronomy after that, and the people are journeying on to the promised land. And so we're looking at these specific instructions. Uh, We're referencing Exodus quite a bit because, again, Exodus is when they show up at Mount Sinai. So what happens in Leviticus has a lot of its history in the book of Exodus. And so I'm going to be jumping into Exodus initially just to make a few comments. But as we're working through the book, we're kind of doing it a little bit backwards, Uh, not how you typically read a book of the Bible, but I want you to get a better picture of how God has chosen to lay out the book. And so we're kind of going at the book from either end, working towards the middle. So we'll be in the beginning in Leviticus chapters 8 to 10, and then we'll also be in Leviticus 21 to 22 as we're working in towards the Day of Atonement, the most holy day in all of Israel's history. Today we're going to be looking at the priests, the priests. We can go first off into why do we need the priests? Why do we have the priests? Who are the priests? How are the priests selected? Well, Really, the first thing that we need to understand about the priesthood as it's laid out in Leviticus is we need to understand why this covenant that we're part of needed a mediator. Some would say it shouldn't have ever really had a mediator. All of God's people should have been able to do it themselves. The covenant, if you haven't heard that term before, it's a, it's a biblical word that you can compare it to a contract today, and that's how some people do it, but that doesn't quite go far enough. A contract today is based on mutual distrust. I don't trust you, so I need to spell out some things that if you don't fulfill your bargain, this is what I get. Some people put that in a prenuptial agreement. I joked about that for years. Don't worry, I don't have one. <laughs> I'll explain what that all is there for any of you that don't know later. But it's where you spell it and you say, okay, well, if this marriage doesn't work out, this is what happens to the assets or this is what you owe somebody. It's, it's, it's the contractual part that people put into marriage sometimes because they really don't trust each other, so to speak, from the beginning. Now, there are sometimes other reasons for those, but that's most people why they use them. A covenant and where it is different is it saying, look, we we both trust each other. This is based on mutual sacrifice. There's a commitment here that we both understand we're going to have to sacrifice for the good of the other. Now, the covenant that God has with humanity is definitely God the greater coming to us 
the lesser creation. He's the creator, we're creation. And making a commitment to Abraham. Remember, it's Abraham's descendants that cried out in Egypt that God remembered. He remembered his promises, his covenant with Abraham and delivers the descendants of Abraham. This covenant that they're part of, there's different rules, there's, there's different stipulations. But it's also important to remember that when the rules and the stipulations come in for Israel is after they've been delivered. You can go to Exodus 19 if, if you want to jump around with me. This morning. If not, stay in Leviticus chapter 8. But Exodus 19 is a very important book of the Bible. It's God has already, can you say that with me, that word on the count of three? One, two, three. Already delivered them. And now he's going to give them what we refer to as the Ten Commandments, probably better referred to as the Ten Words of God. He, he, he's going to lay them out. But it's important to note that based on the covenant, the commitment by God, he's already delivered his people because of his promise. Now how he wants them to live, he, he's going to lay, lay it out for them. It speaks to our Christian life. Oftentimes we come to new believers or those who aren't believers yet and say, we want you to live a certain way. No, if we follow the Exodus model, really what happens is we understand deliverance happens, salvation happens first, and then God is going to teach them how they're to live. The Christian life, it should be the same way. It's salvation first, and yeah, not everybody's going to exactly figure this out instantly. Wouldn't that be great? But no, it's, it's a process. Now, sometimes we get in our Christianese and our theologies and our doctrines and all these different things, and we then start saying, well, this group isn't saved because they have this list of sins, but we're okay with this list of sins, so this group is still saved, and then we start getting all of this weird mumbo-jumbo. Well, I like the simpler version. Let's go back to Exodus 19. Okay, deliverance first, and now God's going to walk out. Okay, what does it mean to truly be my people? What does it mean? Exodus 19 Verse 5 says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey, remember the obedience now is following the deliverance, the salvation. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. That phrasing about Israel being a kingdom of priests, a holy nation in the books of Peter, first, second Peter, that, that specific phrase is applied to the church. We're, we're a continuation of that fulfillment of that, but it was given to Israel, Abraham's descendants first. They were to be the special group of people and they were all to be the priests, a kingdom of priests, they were part of the nation of Israel. They were to be a priest, someone to minister to God. That's a priest ministering to God. They all were to be a priest. So what happened? We should ask that question. Okay, they're all to be the priesthood, a holy nation. So what happened? Why is there now this special group? Why is there this group that's different if everybody was to be a priest? Well, if you jump ahead to Leviticus, or excuse me, not Leviticus, we're not there yet. Exodus 20, 
The 10 words have been given, the 10 commandments. They've been called to Mount Sinai. God's descending upon it in a way that they know that he is God. He's showing up. And Exodus 20, verse 18 says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. See what happens here, and it goes on to repeat that as Moses has now a conversation with them, and they say they're fearful. Not this fearful and awe of who God is, but this like terrified, stay away. That's why it says they stood afar off. The people said, okay, we don't really want to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Let somebody else do it for us. In fact, they tell Moses, you go and speak to God for us. And it repeats the, the phrase again, and they stood afar off. See, because of their decision, they said, okay, yeah, we're to be a kingdom of priests. We're, we're in this covenant with God, and yet we want someone else to be the spokesperson, the mediator with God for us. We are too terrified. Not the true fear of the Lord that Proverbs would talk about, but a fear of the Lord that I, don't, I, don't, I want a distance from him. And so they put this distance in themselves, I believe. So now it's not a kingdom of priests. It's now, okay, we're supposed to be that, but eh, we're going to have this other group do it for us. They're going to speak to God. They're to minister to God for us. So there is, because of the people's decision, now a need for this group within Israel, the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. That is then laid out in the book of Exodus. And then we actually get to Leviticus and Leviticus chapter eight, we see there that the people are ordained and the qualifications, both in Leviticus eight to 10, as well as then in the end, Leviticus 21 to uh, 22 lays out, okay, they're ordained, they're, they're, they are anointed, consecrated is another term that's used. If you can go to Leviticus chapter eight, if you haven't already, and you have Aaron and his sons. They're consecrated as the priests. They're, they're set apart. In fact, Aaron's dress and the way the priests are dressed is very special. It's set out so that it kind of sets them apart. Now, the interesting thing, and we'll look at it again as we work towards the most holy day of Israel, is you have the high priest wear something. Then you have the other priests that wear something. And then on the most holy day, they wear the most plain clothes possible. We'll talk about that as we, we work towards that day. But their clothing was a set apart. The high priest actually ended up wearing a breastplate that had all 12 tribes on it. So that when he went before the Lord, he went into the holy place. He, he went in representing all of Israel. Everyone that was supposed to be this kingdom of priests, this holy nation to go before God themselves. Aaron in this this anointing that, that is happening, this setting him apart. They pour oil upon him. It's not like an anointing service that happens once in a while, right? We, we, you've come to church or you've seen people prayed for if you've been around here long enough and Pastor Brent maybe even has it in his pocket this morning or Pastor Jerry. Yep, Pat, oh, you want to show us? 
What does Pastor Brent carry in his pocket? If you're ever uh, on Jeopardy, here you go. You may win. Well, I have two items. Okay, two items. What are they? <laughs> it is harvest season. And anointing oil. And anointing oil. That's not enough anointing oil to do it how Moses does it here in Leviticus over Aaron. He pours it on his head. In part, we know how he pours it on his head because the psalmist writes about it later in Psalms 133. He says, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard. It's upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down to the edges of his garment. So much anointing oil that he basically was bathing in it is kind of the picture we get. It's covering him. He's being consecrated, set apart. The, the priests are being set apart because Israel didn't want to be, is what I, I, I see. And so God kind of steps in and says, okay, well, let's do it this way instead. God's willing to continue working with them because of this promise, his covenant with Abraham. The tabernacle is then set apart. It, it, it's unique. Leviticus, the end of Leviticus, if you jump ahead to chapter 21, in there there's a lot of the qualifications given for the priests. And I'll just read a few of them to you. You can go back and read them in detail. But the priests must be restrained when they're dealing with dead people. There's this holy, unholy, this clean, unclean code that's given at different points in, in this book. And so the priests are supposed to be very careful when they're, they're dealing with the dead. In part, because today we have a lot of sanitary methods of dealing when somebody passes away to make sure germs don't, don't get spread. That's probably part of why these codes are given. It was to help Israel be a clean people. In fact, uh, Scott Masters, one of our church council members, a friend of mine, he's here today. He's usually doing security at Carl. That's one of his jobs as a security officer at the hospital is to guard the deceased because you don't want something happening. There's special protocols. Well, even back in the Old Testament, God has written that in place. And, and the, the priesthood has the most specific requirements upon them. So, when dealing with the dead. Obviously, their family would be the exception because they need to be able to be there and deal with their family members. The trimming of their hair, um, the self-gashing um, of their skin, you don't want to be like the pagans around them. And whom they marry, very specific requirements. How their kids are to behave. Basically, it comes down to the high priests even has more strict requirements. The priesthood has strict, and then if you're chosen as the high priest, there's even more strict requirements upon you that you must be restrained. In fact, here in the, in the middle of these stories and the instructions, really it's more instructions than stories, there's a few stories that come out in Leviticus 10, if you want to jump back there. You have one of these stories. One of these stories about what happens when they aren't obedient to what God has said. Leviticus 10, verse 1 to 7, there's two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. Each took censers, it says, and, and put fire in it and, and put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Okay, this is why I say scripture, we sometimes pretend it should be rated G, is not. 
Are you getting the picture? These priests go in. They're doing, it sounds like what they should be. In the censer, they go in and they offer incense before the Lord, instructions they've been given. And next thing you know, it says, well, it was profane fire. It, was, it wasn't good. And so the Lord sends fire out and they die. I don't think you'll see that on the Disney Channel. And then it goes on. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. His sons had just died and he, he holds his peace. Then Moses called Michelle and Asaphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp. <laughs> as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar. Okay, by the way, when you're a pastor, I didn't look up the Hebrew spelling of those, so I'm just guessing. So if you hear another pastor say it another way, um, go with them. If you want, I'll get out my Hebrew Bible and I can try to get you the exact uh, pronunciation of those. It says, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brother and the whole house of Israel bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, So here's, as we read this story, you probably have the question, okay, we know there's profane fire that's offered. It's unholy, but what, what in the world is this profane fire? What is it? The instructions to go and burn incense were, were correct. They're, it appears they're doing what they should be doing, and yet it says there was profane fire. So what is it? Well, I think as the Lord is speaking to Aaron now, he's going to give it to them. He's, he's giving now why there was this profane fire. Not that Aaron didn't know, but he's going to make it clear. It says in verse 9, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. Now what's interesting and I know some of you are what we would call teetlers, where you say there should be no alcohol. Some of you think, let's partake. I'm not going to address that this morning. But what I am going to address is exactly what it says here. Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you or your sons, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting. There's something that's supposed to be special that Aaron's sons probably did not follow. Now, one of the interesting things about this is there's actually, at times, a, a wine offering that's to be given. And so they, although it says, do not drink wine, we know from Scripture that they actually bring in wine for them to drink within the tabernacle. And it kind of goes with this picture of having a meal before God as meat is offered, as bread is offered, or grain, as wine is brought in. And yet the instruction here following this profane fire is do not drink wine or intoxicating drink when you're serving, we could say, in the tabernacle. 
shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Then verse 10 says that you may distinguish between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. I think part of what's happening here in this verse, and it's very clear, and it needs to be clear to all of us, is that the priesthood was not to be so out of themselves that they could not distinguish between what was of God, what was holy, and what wasn't. Now the wine, the drinks were to come in, but it is almost as if they showed up to the tabernacle, the sanctuary of God, the sons of Aaron, drunk. You may say I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but when he says don't drink wine nor intoxicating drink and it's following after profane fire as they're going in and putting the incense before the Lord, I don't know what other conclusion you could come to. Then they're showing up to the house of the Lord to serve God drunk. What does that teach us? Probably a few things. God's made it very clear. In fact, Leviticus 22, 31 says, therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. In other words, it's kind of this tag on, and God does this as he's given a lot of these commands. It's the, the, the phrase I've used before as I introduced this series. It's God saying, you should do this because I said so. What parent has not used that line on their kids? What kid has not heard that line from their parents? Do it because I said so. See, the profaning fire, what they were doing, they were operating in a way outside of what God had instructed. He was making it very clear to them. Look, you do this, you operate the way I said because I said so. You do it this way. Brings me to kind of the next little portion of scripture that I think this this talks about, and, and really it's not another portion of scripture, but another, another point for us to consider, and that is this. When, when God does something new, which is what he's in the midst of here, Israel has been called to be the priesthood, a holy nation. There to be a special treasure before God. And yet they've said, no, we're going to stand afar off. We're standing afar off. We want... We want you, Moses, to go and do it for us. And then Moses ends up anointing Aaron and his sons to be the representatives before God, the ones ministering to God. God gives them instructions. A few of them mess it up, and God makes it clear, no, you do it as I said. And so now we're at a point that God has done something new, and yet what happens here is what we see throughout Scripture. And when God often does something new, what does humanity do? We mess it up. Think about it. You go to the New Testament and you have the churches formed in Acts and you have great, the churches here, people are being added to the church. And then you have Ananias and Sapphira that what happens? If you know this story, they, they lie to the Holy Spirit. They sell some land, they give it and the elders call them in and everyone's kind of selling their possessions, handing them over to the church to live communally, and, and they, they say, well, did you sell it? Did you give it all? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Boom. One of them drops dead. Why? They lied. Carried out. The next one comes in as the spouse is being carried out, does the same exact thing. Boom, they die. They're carried out. 
What happens, let's go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1. God created this great, beautiful place. He walks with his creation. He's present with them in the garden, this ideal sanctuary before the Lord. And what does humanity do? What does Eve do, Adam, whichever one you want to blame? And scripture, I think, blames both of them at different points. They mess it up. God goes to do something new, and what happens? We mess it up. And yet God's goodness, his grace, he comes in and he offers a new way. He, he, he comes in, he offers even grace. Brings me to kind of three takeaways, if you want to call them that this morning. Three takeaways. I'll have Carissa put them all up on the screen here. I think you can read them. The first is this. God, God doesn't want you to delegate your responsibility as his priest. The people, they, they delegated it to somebody else. They stood afar off. God doesn't really want that. He, he allowed for that, but that wasn't what he wanted. God doesn't want you to delegate your responsibility as the high priest. Number two, or not high priest, sorry, Jesus is our high priest. Let me not get fire upon me this morning. <laughs> God doesn't want you to delegate your responsibility as his priest. We're all to be priests. You've probably heard the phrase, the priesthood of all believers. When there was a big split back several year, years ago, like over 501 years ago now, where we'll celebrate Reformation Sunday coming up. It's when the, they came and separated from the Catholic church, although that wasn't what was intended. I believe that's what ended up happening. Part of it was over this, the priesthood of all believers, because God doesn't want you to delegate your responsibility to somebody else. The second is this, God anoints you for service. Just as he anointed Aaron and poured that oil upon him, that oil is the picture of the Holy Spirit being poured out. You look, you're anointed. I, I've chosen you. It's the same, although it's not oil, it's the same picture we get Jesus at his baptism. He goes down in the water, he comes back up, and what happens? The dove, another picture of the Holy Spirit, descends upon him. So God and God there, so that should, okay. So what is happening? Well, it's really the anointing of Jesus, okay, saying, look, you're the king. He's the one that's going to serve humanity now as king. God anoints then believers for service or empowers us is the term we use. He makes that clear here with the Levitical priesthood. I'm ordaining them. I'm choosing them for service. For all to be priests, God is anointing all of us for service. The third thing is this, as I read through the scriptures about the priesthood, it says God has specific ways for ministering that we obey simply because he is Lord. Because I said so. Most of scripture is that way. We we've have groups today and they've been around since the very beginning. Paul addresses them in some of his writing. They come in and want to say, oh no, it's not really that way. It's another way. And yet we have to come back to scripture and say, nope, it's not based on our human reasoning and logic. It's based on what God has said. Now there is room, I think, for discussion about, okay, what's scripture saying there? But there isn't much room 
when scripture comes and clearly addresses a subject. Some people want to rip out pages from their Bible, I believe. Put them to the side, act as if it doesn't, it, it's not in there anymore. No. We have to come and say, okay, what has God said? Now, again, I don't want to be so dogmatic where we can't ask questions, say, okay, how, how, what did he mean there? How does he say that? Yes. Some points, God's a little confusing. Read the, read the New Testament, read the gospels. How often did the people walk away from Jesus and the disciples come back later and say, now, what did you mean by that? If you have to ask that question once in a while, well, you're a disciple just like the original 12, huh? That's okay, but we still have to come and say, okay, now what is God actually saying? That's how I'm going to live. What did God say? That's how I live. Now I'm giving you at the end of each of these series uh, some things to discuss that go along with the message. Things to discuss with your family, friends, if you get together with a small group, whatever it may be. And so here are the the three kind of discussion points that Chris will put up on the next slide that these are on our Facebook page too because some of you probably can't read that. I can know I'm having a hard time on the back screen there. The first says this, describe a time you stood afar off with God, hoping someone else would draw near to him for you. To be honest, most people Actually, I'll say it this way. All people have done this, and most people consider the pastor, whatever, that's the general term we use for someone that works for the church, relegates that responsibility to the pastor or to uh, Sunday, I'll do that. Describe a time when you stood afar off from God. The modern world, we would maybe even say, okay, well, Sunday I draw near to God, but Monday through Saturday I do what I want. That's not what scripture actually teaches us. That's just how we sometimes live life. All of us, again, have some time we have done this. The next question there, which praise the Lord, I have it on the sheet in front of me because I can't read that. The oil used in Israel's anointing, as well as the, that continual burning even of the oil and the of the lamp and the tabernacle, again, is associated with the Holy Spirit. So it should bring us to the question, how important is the Holy Spirit in our life as we serve God? Sometimes we go to do things and you, we get maybe in a routine, especially if you've been serving the Lord for a while and doing the same thing, you get in a routine. So it's, well, this is just how I do it, so I'm going to keep doing it this way. Maybe how you read your Bible, the time you read your Bible the place you read your Bible. Oh, this is the routine. I'm just going to do it. And routines are helpful. I'm a person. I like to live by routine. Now I'm also a little bit flexible, but I still try to follow a routine. And yet for many of us, if we only live by a routine, have we removed the Holy Spirit? We need to live every moment and walk by the Spirit is the, the phrase scripture uses. How's the Spirit of God directing us? We don't get so stuck in a routine that we can't be obedient to the Holy Spirit and his direction in our life. We even do that as a church, to be completely honest. Most of you are used to it. You come in, you sit in the same general seating section, if not the exact same seat. The worship team gets up, sings a song. 
reads a verse typically, or the worship leader makes a few comments. We call it the call to worship. And then we sing about three more songs, and I come up and I pray. And then what do I do? Say, you may be seated. Then what do I do? Oh, you all know it. Come on. Pull out your bulletin, right? Fill out your connection card. And, that, and then I, I say, please fill it out as you're watching the screens, because I used to say, now please turn your attention towards the screen. And Dan Bunch told me, you realize you're telling us to turn your attention towards the screen while you're telling us to fill out the thing at the same time? So I thought, oh, you're right, Dan. So I say, will you please fill that out as you're watching the video announcements now, just so you, right, we have these routines. There's a reason we do things. Sometimes we get so much into that routine that all of a sudden if we go a different direction or the Holy Spirit has even guided someone to go a different direction, we say, that is not holy. Really what we're saying is that's not part of my routine. We do that a lot. That's why when God wants to do something new, we often mess it up because we're so stuck in our routine, which is why the next discussion question is there when God does something new in scripture, it's again, followed by people making it go wrong. So what is a time you messed something up when God was trying to do a new thing? That's why as a pastor, I like to hear feedback or different things, but we also as leaders and all of us lead in different ways have to take a moment, step back and say, okay, there's the opinions of the people, but if the opinions of the people were there, Israel would have been stuck in slavery in Egypt. So what's opinions that lead to slavery and what is God saying and what are opinions that are pointing to what God is saying? All of us live our life that way. We don't just do it as a church. All of us hear opinions all over the place. So open up Facebook. You'll get about 100 of them in about 10 seconds. There are opinions. But we need to be saying, okay, no, no, no. What, what is the spirit saying? Are we, are we being directed by God? Maybe, maybe it's not even something that's contrary to what God has said before, but specific for us in a new direction God wants us to go. Something new God wants us to do. We don't want to be so delayed because we're stuck in a routine. Or let's be honest, what's the phrase most people do when somebody is stuck? We don't say routine, that's me being nice. They're stuck in a rut. <laughs> stuck in a rut. I'm assuming that's like what happens with a truck and they kind of get so weighed down and the wheels start spinning and they dig a kind of rut down in the ground. They end up stuck there because they're spinning the wheels and they're going nowhere. We don't want our spiritual life to be like that to let us all understand that we're all called to be the priesthood every single one of us we're to be the priesthood that doesn't just follow a routine but is obedient to the spirit who's speaking to us guiding us directing us so sensitive to the spirit that when god wants to do something new we fight that natural inclination to mess it up that really appears to be built into humanity, at least since that snake in the garden started speaking to Adam and Eve. We want to come and say, Holy Spirit, move. Amen.
Thank you for listening to SBCC Weekly. We hope you'll subscribe to this podcast as well as give us a like. You can visit us again online at www.sangamonvalley.net.